When I was a kid, I don't know if you guys were this way. Do you remember your first jobs? You remember the first job you had? And it may not have been a real job, job, but I remember this first job is even just mowing, mowing yards, you know, for a neighbor. I remember the first summer I did this, I, I didn't sign a contract with this lady. <clears throat> she, she lived up the street from us, and I just made a commitment. I promise I'm going to mow your yard, you know, this summer. And she made a commitment back that if I mowed her yard, she would pay me. And that, that, that was it. That's all we needed to do because my word was good, and she knew my family as well. So, you know, there was some of that, and I made that. No contracts. There's nothing that we signed. It was just a verbal vow that this was going to happen. Maybe this was it for you as well. I grew up in a small town. So in our small town, um, we had this place where we'd go and get gas. You know, our family is where we bought our gas. It was the garage where we got our car worked on. It was family that we knew, a family that we knew that went to our church that owned the garage. Um, And so we would go there, but this is the way it would happen usually. This was way before you pay at the pump and the credit cards and everything. You'd get gas, and then you would go inside. And when I was a kid, this is the way it worked. There were times I had to do this. At some point, I had to start paying for it, but... I'd go in and just sign off on it and my dad's tab, right? And then my dad would come in later or sometime during the week or sometime that month and pay off the tab at the garage, you know, for the gas that my family bought for that time or if we had a bill there, whatever. I remember one time this even happened. I pulled up, got gas. I was in a hurry and I just kind of gave, you know, a thumbs up to Carol. Um, That's who owned the garage, Frank and Carol. Um, And she kind of gave me the thumbs up and got gas, got back in my car, and drove away. You know, that couldn't happen today, really, could it, right? It, and my dad came in later and paid for the gas, and she marked it down, and we were all good. And wh- why? How could that happen? Because of a verbal commitment that, that we had made. You just make that, and you can say, I trust you, I trust you, this is going to work, and you just a good handshake will do the deal. Um, and oftentimes, it's that way. Those of you that are married in here, you remember that day too, right? The day you got married, whether it was in a church or it was outside or it was a special event, but you were in front of your friends, your family, and and the pastor probably said something like, in front of your friends and family and, and in front of God, you're making these vows, these commitments, this promise to your spouse that you're going to treat them a certain way, that you're going to love them a certain way. And that you're not going to give up on each other, that you're going to do this. Now, the state requires we sign a paper, but as far as a pastor goes, I don't care if you sign the paper or not. The state does, but it's what you say to each other that matters. Your verbal commitment to each other is what makes that binding in God's eyes, in my eyes. So you make this vow, you make a promise, a verbal commitment to somebody. As kids, boys, when we made a deal, we spit in our hand and gave a good handshake and that was good right that was a that was a commitment that you were making as we get older and things get more official there's contracts and if you ever got a loan for your house or a car you sign your life away with so many signatures and promise to do and contracts and different things but th- there's a word in the bible that talks about this it's an old testament word it's a word that you all know maybe you didn't know it was a bible word but it's the word covenant Have you ever made a covenant with somebody? Or do you know that you have a covenant right now with God? We're in a covenant with him. Now, God, we can look at him in many different views in many different ways. Some of you see God as your friend. Some of you maybe have never thought of God as your friend, but God is our friend. God is our teacher. God is our master. He is our creator. 
He's our judge. That one's not very fun at times. He's our provider and our protector. But think about it this way. Maybe this is a new introduction to you. Have you ever considered God as your partner? God being your partner, maybe that brings it down to too much of a personal level for some of you. You want to keep that up there. But bring him down to this, or you go up to him in this, and consider God as your partner. And when you have a partner, how do some of those things work, and what do you do in this? Now, we're in this series right now. It's a series that we've been walking through called Finding God in Our Journey. And we're trying to find God through the story of Moses and how Moses and the Israelites left Egypt and what God did for them and how we can see God working through that. And we're going to get to a point here where the Israelites are wandering through the desert. And I believe we could spend 52 um, weeks of Sundays just talking about the desert. There's so much to learn in this. It's huge. But at the same time, it's also a story that you can hear in one shot because I think you can learn some overarching values and lessons in this. So we're going we're gonna to jump to the Israelites here in, in just a second and what they learned when they were wandering in the desert. And part of this story of finding God and finding God even in your desert in life. But before that, I think to set this up, we've got to go back. We've got to take a step back. So let's go back to Genesis and build up just a little bit to this. And Genesis, it's the story of God in the beginning. And in the beginning, God created. So God is our creator, but he also created us to have a relationship with him. And he said to man, hey, I, I need you to partner with me. I've just created this whole beautiful earth, and it's amazing, and everything that's in it, and I need you then, man, to take care of it. Can, can you take care of it for me? Can, can, I'm going to help you. We're in this together. It's a partnership. But God said, take care of this and follow these rules, follow these instructions. But it doesn't take very long. I mean, we're in, we're in chapter 2, and we already, we already broke it. We're, we've already messed things up. And God says, no, I already told you not to do that, and we've already done it. So we live now in a broken relationship between us and God. If you've ever wondered why this world is full of sin and what's going on around us, it's because we live in a fallen, broken world. And it started way back then. And so God says, all right, I'm, I'm going to do something. And the Bible is this amazing book that tries to teach us over and over again. It describes God coming back to his covenant with us and trying to teach us and rebuild the broken relationship that we have. So God takes the first step. He says, okay, you did this. I'm going to take the first step, and I'm going to repair this partnership that we have together. I'm, I'm going to make a covenant with you, a new partnership. And God always does this. He takes a group of people or a small group of people, and he says, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to use you to make a covenant, and hopefully you can bless them everyone else and everyone else will get a blessing out of this and he makes a promise to us in this and he asks us to fill certain commitments and god will do his part god will do his part we have to do our part it's a partnership of this so we we get this in the old testament we have four major covenants there are four covenants that we're, that we're going to skip over today and skip through talk about um, briefly in this there's one with noah um, there's one with Abraham, there's one with the Israelites through Moses, and then there's one with David. Okay, I'm going I'm to hit each one of these real quickly, but all of these covenants serve a purpose. It's this purpose of creating a relationship with a God who eventually wants to invite all humankind to come back to him. And God is really, really, really good at keeping his covenants. He's really good at this. He's amazing. He cannot break his covenants with us. And we are really, really, really good at breaking our covenants with him. 
right? Have you been there? You know this? We have a tough time keeping our promises that we make, not only to each other, but especially to God. So let's hit this one. Noah, Noah, there was a very sinful time in the earth, and this was back in Genesis chapter 6. I mean, we're at chapter 6 of this grand story of God and this amazing thing, and already by chapter 6, the people are living sinful lives. In fact, it says that they are, they're so sinful, they plan on it. They work at it. They're really good at sin. I mean, they think about it often. They have rewritten some of the laws so that they can get away with sin. They, they think about it tomorrow. Tomorrow, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this sin tomorrow. I mean, this is the generation that we're, I mean, they were, I mean, we are living in, right? Is, does it, it's scary to think about the times of Noah and today and wonder where we're at. Chapter 6, verse 5, this is, describes, it says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. God said, I, I can't take it anymore. This is it. These people, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start over. I'm going to wipe him out. So God wipes us out with a flood, except he found one guy. And he wasn't perfect. It wasn't that Noah was perfect, but he found Noah that had a good heart. And he said, I can use that. I can do something with that. So Noah, I'm going to use you. And he wipes everybody out except Noah and his family. Now, through Noah, God made a promise to us. It's a covenant. You remember this? It was after the flood, and it was in a symbol, a sign. A rainbow. The original intent for the rainbow was a promise from God saying, I'll never do this again. I'll never wipe you out again. It, and when it does happen again, it'll be for the final time. It'll be when Jesus comes back. But he made this promise that I'll never do that again. And God keeps his covenant. And so far, he hasn't. He has continued to keep this covenant with us. But it didn't take very long before Noah and his family were breaking the covenant again. And they were off seeking their own way. Noah's descendants trying to do it themselves. And we didn't live up to our part. Didn't trust and follow God. So as that time continues, and there's this time period between Noah and Abraham that is rather confusing. There's some stories in there that are kind of weird. And um, one of those is this this idea of the Tower of Babel. uh, Meaning we're, we're trying to get ourselves to God. We can't just trust him with the way he set it up. And so we build this Tower of Babel, and God says, no, that's not what I'm after. We, we try and become independent to try and do it ourselves. And this same theme happens over and over and over through Scripture. And I want you to see this. I'm going to put it on the screen. When we seek autonomy from God, when we define good and evil for ourselves, it always results in a world of tragedy and death. When we walk around saying, I think I know better than God. When we try and figure it out ourselves, when we say, I'm not sure I need God anymore. I can do it myself. And really, God's ways seem old-fashioned and too traditional. And it doesn't seem right for my time. So I'm going to rewrite the laws the way I think they need to be written so that I can live the way I want to live and not worry about the way God wants to live. Whenever that happens, it's bad news for us. And it happened here again. So we get to this part of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. All right, we're still only 12 chapters in, another six chapters, and here we are again. This is a key moment in the unfolding of the biblical story. And God responds to humanity's corruption by choosing Abraham and his descendants and his family to restore a covenant with his people. 
verse 1 of chapter 12, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kingdom and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you great, a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So again, he says, through Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm making a covenant with you. Let's do this together, dude. Partnership. And then I'll bless everyone through our covenant and what we can do. God uses his people, good people, not perfect people, but good people. They have good hearts. They're, They're trying. They still make mistakes. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, Joseph to Moses. And God keeps his covenant. Even when his people aren't perfect, even when his people make mistakes along the way, God continues to keep his covenant. And he leads us to this point we're at in the story to Israel. So we get to this big picture of Israel. And the next covenant that he makes with Israel, it's not just with one person this time. It's with a group of people. So there's this whole nation, you know, a couple million people that he's working through at this time. And this whole nation, with Moses leading them, he says, I'm going to make this covenant with you. But he does it a little different this time. He spends time in the desert with them. It's a longer period of time where he's teaching them and training them and helping them, hoping that they see the bigger commitment that's a part of this. And we get to these books of the Bible that many of you have gotten to and got stuck in. You've got to the point of reading this part, and you're like, I, I, can't, I can't finish this. I just can't do it. I don't understand it. It's too much. Or you just skip these parts and go to some other places. But the end of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, these are such important books. I kind of call them the, the books of the desert. It, that's not the official name of those books. But the, these books tell the story of the Israelites in the desert time period of their lives and what God teaches. Now, Joshua is a fun story. That's a fun book because it shows them the promised land and they get to go into the promised land. Isaiah writes about the desert as well and what happened during that time. But there's some lessons in these books that if we just skip over, you miss some important things on. So real quickly, let's hit, let's hit this. Some lessons. What are some lessons that we can learn by spending time in the desert? How, how can we find God? How did the Israelites find God in the desert? How can we find God when we're walking through a desert time period? And this is the first lesson they learned, that God provides. God provides. This came early on. They had to see this one first. They learned again and again and again and again that God will provide for them. And they saw this, the the idea of trusting God, it came through basic needs of life. Here they are in the desert, they didn't have anything to eat, so God provided this for them, brought manna to them. It It was a dew that would collect on the ground, and then as that dried, they could collect it, and they could use it to eat. It was, it was like bread. It, it was sweet like honey, and it was probably rather tasty for them. That's what they needed. They also had got quail, so they got some protein as a part of this. Now, I understand it. Now, this is tough. For 40 years, they got this. <laughs> this is what they had to eat. I, I, I can do leftovers once. That's about my extent of leftovers. Um, but uh, they got it. God provided water for them. There's a whole cool story about Moses hitting the rock, and there's some big connections with this, with his staff, and what he did, and how he did it, and lessons he learned with that. But God provided for them shelter and protection. Here's the thing that I think of through, through a desert time. It's not fun if you're in the middle of a desert time period in your life, spiritually, emotionally. 
this isn't very encouraging, but sometimes it's what you hang on to. And I saw this throughout their 40 years in the desert. Every morning, the sun came up. Now, it's not written in your scripture anywhere just like that, but you can read between the lines and you can see it. 40 years in the desert, and every morning, the sun came up. Sometimes when you're going through a tough time in life and you're wondering if God's there and you're wondering what's happening and are you going to make it, you get to the end of a day. I know some of you have said this before to yourselves. I made it another day. And in the desert, sometimes that's the thing that you grab onto and you hang onto and you say, thank you, God. I just made it another day. And the next morning, the sun comes up. And it keeps coming up. And you can keep going and you can keep doing it. And you can keep seeing that God will provide for you. Your basic needs can be met through that. Whether it be food and water and shelter, maybe a friend. That God will provide. And he'll bring you what you need to make it through just another day. The sun came up this morning. God loves you. And he's going to provide for you. Here's another lesson I think they learned, that God does not forget them. God doesn't forget them. God does not forget his people. He loves you, and he's not going to forget you. This is a cool one. I I like this one. He does something unique in this one. Maybe you've never understood it like this, but I want to unpack something for you that might open some different ideas for you in this about how God doesn't forget us. God wants us to be unique, and he said this to the Israelites, "I, I want you to be holy, Meaning, I want you to be set apart. I want you to be different than the rest of the world and how they act and how they treat each other and what they do. So what did God do? And this is the part we, why we often skip over Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy is because it's a list of rules, a list of laws, a list of things that they had to do. But God is teaching them something. He's teaching them how to live as free people and how to treat each other, how, how to do life with God, how to do life with each other. And this is important Understand it this way. The laws are for your benefit. They're they're for your good. They they do good things for us. If we follow the laws, God is saying, look, I think I know best for you. So if you obey these laws, this is how it's going to work out best. If you don't, it might not turn out so good for you. So here they are. He's actually teaching them the best way to live. And it's not just the top 10, right? It's not just the 10 commandments that Moses got and carried down. Um, it's not just those, although those are universal and they stretch out and there's some New Testament teachings with some of those. But this is God teaching them how to eat, what to eat, how to wash, how to do life uh, with each other, how, how to, he wanted them to be special. And he said, take care of the poor. Sexual purity was a big deal. Uh, promote justice is how to do life with each other and how to treat each other, how to live as free people, but also how to do this in the right order. I think in our society today, we even get this turned around. And God is teaching them, love him first. Put God first, then each other. Now, it's easy to get confused because we really want to take care of each other and we need to care about each other. And that's huge. It's important. It's like number two on the list, right? Love God, love each other. But if you switch number one and two, it it really throws it off. And sometimes that idea of social justice and what we do for each other, we can get so wrapped up in that, that we, 
we do what? We forget about God. And when we forget about God and it's just us and we've broken a covenant with him, and we're like, now it's backwards and now it throws us out of loop and it's crazy then and then things get weird and then we start to do life ourselves and then we think we know better than God and then it doesn't end well for us. And the laws teach us to put God first, that his ways are better than my ways and to love each other, to do good for each other and that God is leading that. God is helping us and you gotta understand it. God is leading all of this. He led them to the desert. He didn't accidentally have them stumble upon it God led his people to the desert. So there's one more lesson in this I want you to see. Um, A lesson we can learn in the desert. That God keeps his covenant. God is awesome at this. God is so good at keeping his covenant. We often forget about God. When we get in a desert time period, sometimes you think all you want to do is survive. Can I just make it through another day? But don't just make it through another day. Make it through another day trusting that God is going to provide, that he is not going to forget you, and that he always keeps his covenant. Now, where I see this through these books, and again, a part where you can get confused and lost in it, but look at the bigger picture, and this is the idea of the tabernacle. When God describes how to make the tabernacle, he gives really specific instructions how big it should be, what it should be made of, what they should do, how they should enter, how they should leave, all of the things that go around that. It's God teaching them how to worship, how to put him first, even in their desert time period. How do you put God first? And if we don't think about that, and if we're not concentrating on that, if we're not careful about how we structure our lives and what we do, we forget to worship God. And God's saying, don't forget to worship me. I'm going to teach you, and here's the way I want you to set it up. And if not, we seek autonomy from God. If not, we define good and evil for ourselves. And when we do, and we do, it always results in a world of tragedy and death. So they're learning through the desert that God keeps his covenant and we need to remember him first. Because the desert is not a fun place to be. It's it's still, even when you're going through it, heartache still happens. Even in the desert, there's still pain that comes along. In your desert, there's lessons to be learned. There's laws to keep. In the desert, death still happened. They lost a whole generation of people while they were wandering around in the desert. They lost their parents, their grandparents. They had to bury them along the way. There's still pain and heartache, but I also know this. There is still worship in the desert. And we've got to take sometimes the things as they are and learn from them. Oswald Chambers, I like this quote. He said it this way, when you are joyful, be joyful. But when you're sad, be sad. And if God has given you a sweet cup, don't make it bitter. And if he has given you a bitter cup, don't make it sweet. Take things as they come. You know, there are times in your sadness that things happen to you, you change, and sometimes for the better. And there's only times that you can learn and grow and learn certain lessons by being sad. And sometimes I I believe that God will put you in a spot of sadness so that you can learn and grow. Walk through that time. Don't sidestep it. Don't miss it. 
There are times it's good to be sad because you're going to learn a lesson you can't learn any other way. There's times when you walk through a desert that you're going to learn lessons that you cannot learn any other way except walking through your desert. The pain and the trials that come with that, don't sidestep them, don't try and miss them. Let God lead you through those and let God teach you about who he is as you walk through it. I like this, this idea. Um, I learned it in this class that, that we're doing here on Wednesday nights. Think about it this way. Before the desert, God was known as the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But now, he's known as the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the God who led us out of Egypt. And we would have never known that if they hadn't got to the desert And God expanded who he was and taught them something so special about himself that they would have only received by walking through the desert with him. That he is a God that keeps his promises and he'll never let you down. Now, I know this as well. They didn't stay in the desert forever. 40 years was a long time, um, but they didn't stay there forever. And you shouldn't stay in your desert forever. Don't skip it. Don't run around it. Walk through it. But keep walking. Keep looking for the promised land. Keep going to your goal and where you're going to be. And let God take you there. Let him lead you there. Because the hope of the world, even back then, in these old books, in the Old Testament, the hope of the world was that God would create a new covenant. One that would completely restore all the broken covenants that came before it. But before that happened, before we get there, there was one more in the Old Testament, and it was David. And this is a special one. This is one we got to see. So there was Noah, there was Abraham, there was the Israelites through Moses, and then David. And the Davidic covenant, this one's special. Through David, um, 2 Samuel 7 is where this one's at. Um, This one's special. Through David, um, the, the, the prophet Nathan came to him, and this was God speaking through Nathan, talking to David. And he said, through you, through the Israelites, through your descendants, God is going to bless your house and this Messiah is going to come through your line, through your heritage. And this will be a new covenant that he will make and it will last forever. Here's the the cool part about the Davidic covenant um, is what it's called. The covenant that God made with David is that it's unconditional. And understand it this way. There was no condition on David or his descendants. It was all on God. Nothing that David did or could do that he could earn this covenant, that he could break this covenant, that he could change this covenant. God spoke to David and said, I'm doing this. And there's nothing that David or his family could do to make that happen or to change that, to break it. And so with that covenant comes, takes us all the way to the New Testament. Here's the coolest part. In the New Testament, when we get to this one, there's only one covenant. And it's with Jesus. And us. We are currently living in the new covenant with Jesus. This covenant that that started way back in the Old Testament, that was all the way through, we are currently living in a covenant with Jesus. This is is our covenant with Jesus. And look at the connections. The connections are amazing. Jesus is a descendant of Abraham, which means that covenant that God made with Abraham is coming through through Jesus, and we're living in that covenant right now. Jesus is the only Israelite 
who was able to completely obey all of the laws that were given through those books of the law. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all of those, Jesus was the only one that matched him perfect. He was a perfect person. And so therefore, he can complete the covenant that was made with the Israelites. David, or Jesus is also a descendant of David, which means he is the king the perfect king in line to be our king forever. And with these covenants together through Jesus, it means he can restore all the covenants of the Old Testament. So Jesus himself is a covenant that cannot fail, that cannot be broken. And Christ has invited all of us to join him in not just a covenant, a partnership, a relationship with him Despite our failures, despite what we do wrong, we can enter a new covenant with him that's perfect because he can't break his covenants. Here's, here's a cool one to look at with this. Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 and 14. This is what God has described in this. It says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. He's God. He's the creator of covenants. He's the creator of everything. So when God says, I'm going to do something, he can't, he can't break it. And he, he's making it to himself even, saying, I, I'm, I'm going to say this, and therefore I'm going to do this. And he says, surely I will multiply you. And he has continued to keep his covenants forever. He can't break his covenant with us. Now, at the end of the Bible, in this book of Revelation, we get this point. John is writing this, and he describes this new and perfect relationship with God that we get to be a part of. It actually takes us back to the very first one that he made with Adam and Eve and how he describes the perfect relationship between us and God. And thanks to Jesus by being the completion of all of those covenants, we get to have that. And like I said, we're in a covenant right now with him. The covenant we're in, I think most of you know this. Many of you, whether you're churched or non-churched, you grew up in the church or not, you probably heard this first. John chapter three, verse 16. This is our covenant with God. It says that God loved us so much that he gave us his one and only son. And if anyone believes in him, you won't die, but you'll have eternal life. And we are currently living in that covenant. Even if you're walking through a spiritual desert, that covenant is still true. In your desert, look for Jesus who restored the covenants of the old that cannot be broken. Now here's, here's the crazy part on this. I think about it like this. If God cannot break his covenant... That means if you believe and trust in him, that you'll have eternal life with him. But God can't break his covenant. Meaning if you don't believe and trust in him, he's made a covenant that says you don't get eternal life with him. And God's a promise keeper and he's made that saying, here's the covenant I made. Believe in me and you have eternal life. Believe in what my son has done. Trust and believe in that and you have eternal life. But if you don't, my covenant says you don't get that. So if you do, continue 
to show your faith. Faith requires action. It requires us to keep moving, to keep trusting, to keep showing God. It's not that you've earned this covenant. It's not that you can do anything to work towards it, but you put your faith into action. If you haven't done that yet, if you don't believe, it's time to put your faith into action. Not that you earn it, not that you can get there, but you do stuff. He says the way to get there is to repent, to admit that you're a a sinner, to believe in what Jesus has done, to confess that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, to get baptized as a sign, as a symbol to say, I trust and believe in that. If you haven't taken those steps, then come with me. Come talk to me. Let me walk you through this so that you can come into not just a covenant with God, but a relationship with him. And you can have that eternal life as well. If you would, let's stand together and let's prepare our hearts in a time of communion, of remembering what Jesus did for us. Let's stand and sing.